Okay, so two things. Number one, I have a website. Ya Queen did a website. Thank me later. Mega slay. Oh, no. We need to do that again. I cannot say slay on this podcast. If you are loving the podcast so far, then you can head on over to my website and subscribe. DanaDiariesPodcast.com Over there, you'll also find places where you can ask questions, which I will answer in future episodes. And also a space with some really helpful links to information about your visa, maybe travel insurance, places to rent, people to meet. It's all on over there. So go and check it out. Anyway, let's get on to the episode. Don't know where that came from. Welcome to the Down Under Diaries, a podcast for the keen traveller or mover. Joined by me, Rosa, a teeny tiny Brit living here in Melbourne. Together on this podcast, we will chat about what life is like abroad, past challenges I faced and how you can overcome them, but also present struggles I'm currently dealing with and what we can do together to feel safe and excited about our journeys ahead. Like a diary, opportunities and difficulties unfold for me on a daily basis. So join me in figuring them out. Okay, so it's about to get hot and steamy in here. That's right. It's getting hot in here. So take a... Oh, I'm sorry. You think it's that kind of podcast? Get out of here. You have a dirty mind. My mum and my sister listen to this. Disgusting. Anyways, we are, in fact, talking about the heat today. And I'm going to tell you a little story. So, you've just arrived into Australia from a colder country. And you are so excited because it's mid-January and the heat and the humidity suddenly hit you and it brings this rush of serotonin and almost relief that you are finally seeing sunshine again. A day goes past and you've planned your week around this gorgeous sunshine. Ocean dips, trips to the beach, lots of hikes. You're so excited. But a day goes past and you have already got sunburn. Mm-hmm, you silly Billy. Day two, and suddenly the heat feels relentless and you start to get a headache. You feel dizzy. By day three, that sun is still there and suddenly you want to avoid going outside altogether because you feel so ill. A week goes by and suddenly the idea of a cloud actually seems quite nice, to be honest. Yes, we are talking about the Australian heat today and the problems of it. Because let's face it, as travellers, as young travellers, we don't really give two shits about the sun other than we want to be tanned and we want to look nice on the beach. So of course, we're going to go outside in the sunshine. And... I'm going to be quite honest with you. Avoid putting sun cream on. Just avoid any of that altogether because we want to tan. Like, I want to be golden. My best years, you know, when you look back at photos, you're like, oh, God, I look so tanned in that. I need that back. No one, no one likes to be pale except for dermatologists. And that's why we're having this conversation today. (laughs) So when I was planning this podcast episode, I knew I wanted to draw on some research papers and statistics more so to help you understand Australian heat, but backed up with science. So yes, we're going to go deep diving into a little science, but not overwhelming, okay? I don't intend to be your old uni lecturer who didn't understand that big, bold, fancy words in papers 
does not fucking help when you're trying to understand anything. It does nothing other than confuse me more. So today we're going to talk about two different areas, sunburn and heat stroke in particular, how we get those, the risks and prevention. So you know how to deal with the sun when you next come over. Because let's face it, as Brits or as anyone from a very cold, low UV country, we don't know shit about heat. And be honest with yourself. Do you really understand Australian heat? No? Then stay tuned. So a quick disclaimer before we begin. I want to remind you that I am no doctor or medical practitioner. I have a degree in sports science, mega slay, and we did focus a small section of our degree on heat and how it alters the body during exercise, and I did actually find this area pretty interesting, so I hope you enjoy today. But please remember that all of this information has come from publications, articles from the Australian government, sunscreen companies, and I will attach all of those links in the description for this episode below. But if you are feeling at all unwell, please do not use any of my information today as a prescription or diagnosis. Please go and see a doctor, GP, travel doctor, if you are at all feeling unwell. Thank you very much. Max, get the bags. Okay, so general idea about Australia is that because we are in the Southern Hemisphere, you will get the warmer season, spring, summer, slash a little bit of autumn, between November to March, April time, which is a complete reverse of the UK, except for in the UK, it's pretty much winter for 12 months of the year, bar maybe one or two weeks when we'll just get some random heat wave and then it will be back to normal rain and dull and gloom. Okay, so the general idea about Australian heat is that because we're in the Southern Hemisphere, you will get the hotter months of the year from anywhere between November to March, April time. Now, this will depend on where you are living in Australia. So typically, Victoria, South Australia will be a lot colder and a lot less consistent with warmth, aka... (laughs) fuck you Melbourne it can go from like 40 degrees one day which is very hot all the way down to 25 the next day and rain and windy whereas Darwin Central Australia Queensland is known for being a lot more consistently hot and humid throughout the majority of the year so even between the distance of Sydney and Melbourne which they're not really that far they're neighboring cities down the bottom they are still going to have very different weathers and days. So keep that in mind. Uh, If you remember when we were talking about this in maybe the first or second episode, that picking the time that you fly and starting your new journey abroad will actually help you in terms of acclimatizing to the heat. So that's why I decided to come over in February rather than November time, because it would give me the entire winter to just acclimatize to a warmer winter. Then as it progressively got warmer and warmer, I was acclimatizing with that week by week, which is just a great way to do it. If you don't want to go into a winter, then just be prepared for the sudden influx from like four degrees in the UK to 24 degrees. And please do remember that as you start to go inland, it's going to get a lot more hot and humid because you're not going to have the cool breeze from the ocean to help keep the average temperatures down. So 
when, for instance, we went on a trip to Uluru, we obviously wanted to do a lot of hikes. It was very beautiful, but we couldn't do any hikes after 10, 10.30. So if we weren't by the starting point of a hike by 10.30, we were not allowed to go on it because of the heat. We were going in the highest UV part of the day. We could be at danger of getting heat strokes, sunburnt, even die. I mean, the, the heat here is relentless. And it is pretty scary if you are not aware of these things before you come over. And if you decide to come and live in Melbourne, then basically it's just a copy of British land, except it's just on average warmer. You just get the four seasons in one day feel like it's just nice to have a slice of home. It's just very nice. Uh, But yeah, on average, it's a lot cooler. So a lot of Brits, a lot of foreigners tend to start in Melbourne and slowly progress their way up the East Coast because, well, you start in the on average colder city not to say that it's not cold in fact whilst I was in Sydney average was like 20 23 degrees Melbourne was having skyrockets of 37 to 40 degree days I got lucky to avoid that And saying that, even though it's very inconsistent with temperature, it doesn't mitigate or reduce your likelihood of getting some very extreme heat-related illnesses. Like I said, if you're not used to this kind of heat or understand it, then your wonderful planned ocean hikes can become a bit of a problem. On that note, let's start with sunburn. Okay, so let's rewind six years ago. I was 19, I was in Sydney for a week, decided to do that really popular Bondi Beach to Coogee Beach walk, I think. And it was an absolutely amazing day. Sun was out, the beach was a really nice shade of blue. Everything was just so nice. Three hours I was out without sunscreen on. Yeah, I forgot to put some on. 24 hours later... I wake up with a shade of red on my back that I can only really describe as red as when your teacher says that you have to do your presentation next. Like it's, they sucked. I was always the one in class that would go the reddest and it was horrible. Well, I get PTSD thinking about those. It's disgusting. Anyway, sunburn. It's just something that you want to avoid getting badly. And often, I won't say anymore because I am nearly 99% sure that you have at some stage or you can recall a really bad sunburn experience and how it felt like the day after going in the shower. Uh, it burns. They burn. Nah. So sunburn is actually very dangerous if you don't know the risks related to it and what could happen if you don't look after a sunburn. So obviously we know it's very high in Australia, but if you don't protect your skin, even in the first 15 minutes of being outside, you can really damage your skin cells. In fact, more than just the pain, inflammation, the redness that comes out of a burn, it can reduce skin elasticity. So say hello to those very wrinkly, saggy boobs when you're like 75. We don't want that. If we can avoid that, that'll be great. And of course, increase the risk of skin cancer, also known as melanoma. But interestingly, 
we can also weaken the immune system with overexposure to the sun. So good luck trying to fight off whatever you fucking caught on the plane after someone wouldn't cover their mouth for eight hours when they were coughing. We always know someone and it really annoys us, right? So just keep that in mind. In fact, especially with melanoma, it can cause up to 90, well, it's responsible for 95% of melanoma cases in Australia. So it's no fucking joke. It's, it's very dangerous. Interestingly, in one paper that I found, uh, if you take antibiotics, antidepressants, or if you're struggling with pollen, you're taking some antihistamines, this can actually make you more susceptible to getting sunburn. If you are a skincare queen like me, you would know that if you exfoliate your face with a chemical or a physical exfoliant, you will know that the next day dermatologists tell you that you need to wear your SPF. Same thing here, but you will just be more susceptible to damage if you're taking any of those prescriptions. So maybe before you come out, just check with your doctor or check with a Uh, GP, just to ask them whether your particular medication could make you more susceptible to sunburn. And if it does, then just make sure that you slap on that sunscreen because you are going to need it, unfortunately. Now, I know it sounds all doom and gloom and you're probably thinking, Rosa, can you shut up? I just want to go over to Australia and have a good time. And yes, you can. In fact, if you get sunburnt, Being in Australia isn't a bad thing because the Aussies have skincare and sunscreen protection down to a T. In fact, schools don't allow kids to go outside for playtime without a hat on. So if they don't bring it, they can't go outside. But they also don't allow them out in specific parts of the day. Particularly, they only go outside when the UV index is towards its lower sides. And skin cancer clinics are also everywhere and very much willing to help you with any weird burns or moles please just have maybe an awareness of your local skin cancer clinic when you are here especially if you're here for longer term just so you know if you have any weird marks you can go and get them checked out okay how do we prevent sunburn obviously don't get burned (laughs) There we go. That's it. I'm done and dusted. No, I know it's easier said than done, but if you invest in a really good sunscreen for you that doesn't feel too sticky, uh, still gives you a very high UV protection, then you're good to go. Now, my biggest hot tip today is don't buy sunscreen from your original country. Don't come over here with one from the UK because it will suck. And I know that from first-hand experience. Australian sunscreens are actually different to European sunscreens. The big reason is the way that waterproof ones work. So European sunscreens will actually lose up to 50% of the UV protection as soon as your little toes take a dip in any kind of water. Compare that to Australian sunscreens, where by law, they have to protect you whilst in the ocean. Yes, the water sweat-based ones, whilst they feel really good on the skin, from Europe, they will be very different in terms of protection. Consider buying your sunscreen when you come out here. It will also save on packing room and the extra weight on the plane. So do it when you come out here because there are some really good brands. I won't name any, but there are some really good ones here. 
Secondly, is that if you want to go outside and you do forget to put sunscreen on or you just can't be asked, then just consider timing your trips out, exercise, events at points of the day where there is a lot less UV exposure. So typically, people here on a clear, very hot, sunny day will go to the beach a lot later, 3, 4 p.m., as UV is a lot less intense, but you still get the benefit of enjoying the heat, the sunshine, going in the sea, etc, etc. Think about when you want to do that nice hike, even early on in the morning. If it finishes by 9 or 10, you're good, you're great. Thirdly, and I know that this is what a lot of people say about this, but stay hydrated and there is a reason for this. So I found on one research paper, and I'm going to quote this, When you get sunburnt, staying hydrated can significantly lessen your symptoms and promote healing. Sunburns draw fluid from the surface of the skin and away from the body. So in order to heal properly and quickly, you need to constantly replenish your lost body fluids and electrolytes. What's more, dehydration can make your skin more vulnerable to ultraviolet light UV. As a result, you are more likely to become sunburnt in the first place if you don't drink enough water. keep that in mind I think that was super interesting I know everybody says just need to drink water but none of us actually know why there you go lastly buy a good sun hat buy some good sunglasses yeah your fucking eyes can burn from UV too so just think about protecting your scalp protecting your eyes and helping you stay cool with a hat on which well leads us very nicely into heat stroke and cooling Okay, so let's go back to the first part of this episode where I was saying how wonderful it is to get off the plane and immediately be hit with that high heat, nice, warm breeze. You just know your trip's going to be amazing. The first thing you want to do is go to the beach and then go and crack open a cold one with the bros, yeah? Lads, 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 on holiday, let's go out in the sunshine. And you always come back with really bad tan lines, right? But we're going to talk more so about how actually this warm temperature could be very dangerous for you if you're not prepared in advance. This is so important. If like me, you love hiking abroad, you love going on the long walks or even just being outside in the sun for the majority of the day. If you're not aware of the signs and symptoms of heat stress and heat stroke, you could die. This is this could be fatal. So turn those ears on. This is going to get pretty hefty again by definition heat stroke is a potentially fatal disorder caused by elevated core temperature from either internal metabolic heat produced by activity or external environmental heat added to the body and cannot be removed to maintain normal homeostasis or normal core temperature. That is just a fancy way to say that your body doesn't know what the fuck to do with all of this excess heat. So the comparison of the temperature outside to the temperature in your body is a lot less, which means that heat loss is a lot harder for the body to do 
This means that you could get symptoms such as dizziness, fatigue, nausea, headaches. Sometimes if it gets really bad, you'll see people start to uh, lose their balance, especially if they're on walks. Maybe they're not quite as uh, sharp with their decisions. They find it difficult to talk to you or maintain conversation. Those are all things to look out for if you think that someone is actually dealing with the heat very badly. If you feel yourself getting to even one of these symptoms, then you know that you need to start a cooling process or you need to get yourself out of the situation where your body can't reduce heat. Now, I know I sound like a mother here. I know this is all just boring, scientific. You don't want to listen to me because it will ruin the plans that we have. But I'm being so serious because when I recall the number of hikes I've wanted to do during the day. There was actually one when I was in Cairns. There was this, I need to find the name of it. It was like this um, mountain that's shaped like a pyramid. Uh, It's called like Jamie or Jason's Pyramid. Please let me know whatever it's called. And I really wanted to do it. Now, there was a few problems with this. Number one, I had my phone stolen, so I wouldn't have any signal or basically anyone to call if I fell down a cliff edge. Number one, obviously that would have prevented me. Number two, It was insanely hot. And at the time, I had one water bottle that was like 500 mil. Now, as a 19-year-old, yes, our brains aren't quite fully formed yet to have common sense. And I was legit about to get a bus and go and do this hike. I loved living on the edge, being a rebel, blah, blah, blah. Wanted to come home with those memories. No, I decided not to because I knew that I was starting this hike at like 10 a.m. when I decided. I would have died. In fact, there was another occasion where I wanted to do, sounds so bad, a marathon in Tenerife. This was like just before COVID hit. So thank God I didn't go. And I also got injured. But I really wanted to do a marathon in Tenerife. Had I ever done a marathon before? No. Had I ever ran in heat? Not really, no either. So what the fuck was I thinking about doing a marathon in 30, 35 degree heat in Spain? Probs not, babes. Think again. This is what I mean when I say plan your trips wisely. Because if you plan them towards the end of the day, cooling is going to be a lot easier for your body. Same thing in the morning when you first wake up, 6am, 7am. Those runs, those workouts are going to be a lot easier to cope with because even as your body starts to heat up, you can still sweat. So this leads on to risks. So obviously we've spoken about the high heat. Uh, Environmental conditions very much play into uh, getting heat stroke. One of those includes humidity as well. In fact, humidity or high humidity can really affect heat loss in a bad way. If you're in places like Darwin, Queensland, and you decide to go out for a run, you can expect that sweating won't actually help you as much. In fact, little to nothing because that moisture gradient between the air and your skin is a lot less so what is sweating going to do for your skin it's going to do nothing for you and it's not going to take that heat keep that in mind if you're deciding to go for a run in other places other things include lack of heat acclimatization so that's what i was saying at the beginning maybe time your uh, flight over to australia well low physical fitness so if you want to go on these amazing hikes whilst you're here but you know that you haven't exercised in three years well 
just keep that in mind because your body doesn't understand how to regulate itself with heat coming into the body anyway so think how much harder it would be for you to do hikes if you don't like your body doesn't know what to do with all of this excess heat and also a high body mass index so maybe a higher um, uh, percentage of fat on the body makes you more insulating which means it will retain heat all of those things in mind in terms of when you could get heat stroke. Okay, so what do all of these papers, what does everybody suggest are the best things for you to prevent getting heat stroke? Well, we've already spoken about one of them. Avoid the hottest parts of the day. Time your exercise or time your hikes as early or as late as possible in the day. It's the same with like if you ended up, I don't know, taking a dog out on a walk. Don't take the dog out between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. because their paws are going to burn and they're also going to die. Like they have fluff everywhere on their body. They don't want to be out in the heat. They want to be, well, if your dog likes water, being in a pool or somewhere cool. Just think about that for yourself as well. Secondly, and I find this very interesting actually, you're going to hate me again, hydration, bring lots of water on hikes, stay hydrated throughout the day. Whilst dehydration doesn't actually cause heat stroke, it can affect the heat transfer process and actually contribute to cardiovascular collapse so that's when you know you're finding it harder to breathe and you won't be able to sweat as much basically reduce your heat so drink your water if you find yourself exercising and you were sweating a lot and then you begin to notice that your skin is a lot cooler and you don't sweat but you're still feeling very shaky dizzy you need to stop and you need to start a cooling process because that is a major symptom and major determinant that you're about to get heat stroke or even faint. So be careful. It is dangerous. Look out for your skin. Just check where you are in terms of sweating. And thirdly is just plan on your hikes or maybe even workouts or walks, whatever. Plan for areas that have safe waterfalls, rock pools, swimming pools en route or on your trip. This means that if you brought swimming stuff with you, you can take a dip and they actually do recommend that full body water immersion is the quickest way and the most effective way to cool down your body. So if you're on a hike and you're like, shit, I'm so hot and I've run out of water, just if you know that there is a waterfall en route, then just chuck yourself in it even if you're naked actually no don't do that because there's a problem here with public indecency and australia doesn't like it okay maybe don't do that i don't know find a nudist beach or something anything with water just don't be naked anyways and also whilst this is not a very uh supportive proven point it is there in research that if you think about replacing carbohydrates electrolytes lost during activity you can actually just help the heat transfer process and just lessen the chances of heat stroke um and also just in general like make sure you stay topped up on carbohydrates and electrolytes during activity especially in heat your body needs a lot more energy during uh hot weather to maintain homeostasis And this is the last point. One extra thing to note, especially if you are a longer term resident here in Australia, think about the place that you're going to rent, whether that's one bedroom or with someone else. When you go around and do those inspections, the big thing that you need to look out for is what kind of room or building is it? Is it sun facing and does it have aircon? The reason being is that if it it is made of brick, 
it will take a lot longer for the heat to warm up the walls, which will actually keep your space a lot cooler. In fact, as reference, uh, since moving into this new place, I haven't actually used the aircon yet because I'm not sun facing. I see a little bit of sun in the morning, but it actually keeps this apartment very cool and it's very nice. I can sleep at night, not dying. But also, please, first thing that you need to do on those inspections is to look out for the aircon. If you find it, great. Make sure that it's working when you move in. And if it doesn't, please go to your landlord, go to your agency, ask for your aircon to be functioning and normal. You're going to need it in the hotter months. I ain't fucking lying, all right? And lastly, especially with the hikes, exercise trips, things outside... Just don't think that you have to do those certain trips on those certain days. If, for instance, Melbourne on Saturday is 37 degrees, me and a few friends have a plan to go to the beach. We've already kind of said that we're going to go towards 5pm, 6pm. Some people aren't going all together because that heat is just too high for them. Don't feel like you have to do certain trips on a hot day in fact it could be nicer to do your amazing beach trips when it's a lot cooler because you can stay out longer enjoy the heat go in the sea more and you don't have to worry too much about dying (laughs) just dying or getting as sunburned but that doesn't obviously make you immune that if it's even one or two degrees lower you don't wear sunscreen i'm gonna keep saying this where the fucking sunscreen i'm saying that to myself as well by the way because yes i don't wear it sometimes but i forget anyways okay let's do a quick conclusion of it oh my god I sound like such a lecturer. Oh my God, shut up. But wasn't it the best thing though when you're at uni and like a lecture would go on for like two, three hours and suddenly you see the conclusion slide light up the room. I don't think I've ever heard as many laptops shut as quickly as the end of a lecture. Everybody wants to be the fuck out of it and I love it I miss it it's really it's so entertaining but I'm not a lecturer here but I think it would be good to just conclude this number one just get into a habit of wearing the sunscreen I know it's annoying but if you get in that habit you never have to think about ever the ever getting burnt because you've always got it on you just find a really good brand that you love and feels nice invest and Buy a sunscreen out here, not before you fly. Number two, just look out for the signs and symptoms of heat stroke. Just feel them, have an awareness of them. And if you start to notice something's wrong with you, even just feeling a little bit dizzy, then you need to get yourself out just into some shade, find some water, cool yourself down. Three, think about the trips and the days when you want to do them. Honestly, There were times when I was really annoyed at how hot it was and I wanted to do a hike, but I knew that I was, I was by myself. I could be in a dangerous situation. It's not the end of the world. There will be another hot day in Australia. There always is to do that wonderful hike of yours. So just take into account everything. Listen to this podcast again if it's very interesting for you. I had so much fun researching this. There was some genuine, really good things in here. I'm so proud of myself. Thanks for listening. 
Again, if you want any extra information, if you want to ask a question, just head on over to the website, write it in there, and we can talk about it on the next episode or in future episodes. Uh, you can also head on over... Oh, so Australian then. Head on over to the Instagram, Down Under Diaries. I have an Instagram account there, and you will find updates... I don't know what my accent is, Mill. You'll find more updates about the podcast and everything else. You can see my face on there to see what I look like. Yes, I have the face of four-way podcast, which is why you can't see my face. (laughs) I'll see you next week.